This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, friends, family, and fellow explorers to Awareness Explorers. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my my custy, my trusty co-host and friend, Brian Tom O'Connor. A great start. Uh, today we're going to be exploring one of my favorite topics, Brian, which I call MDMA, better known as ecstasy, and love training. How we can train ourselves to be more open to love with certain exercises, which I'll guide people through, and through certain experiences with the drug known as MDMA, which um, most listeners won't know that I got my master's thesis 40 years ago on the therapeutic effects of MDMA on PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I've been studying it academically and professionally ever since, and have been using it to help people evolve spiritually, helping couples with their issues, helping people overcome trauma, and there's a lot to explore. But when we first decided to do this topic, Brian, what were your initial thoughts? Well, it's kind of perfect because I've never tried it, and I know very little about it, so I can be the questioning voice of the people who are curious, who don't, who aren't experts in it, uh, even though I have tons of friends during my uh, club going days who used to use ecstasy, but uh, I, I never, I never tried it. So um, I don't know that much about it. So I'm eager to hear uh, what you have to tell us. Well, one thing I want to say is that this drug is currently illegal, although that is likely to change sometime in 2023 or 2024 due to 40 years of clinical trials and people working to make it a drug that can be prescribed by psychiatrists. And the reason they're doing this is that it's been shown that MDMA is by far the most effective treatment for PTSD. And when the government realized, the US government realized that they could save hundreds of millions of dollars by using MDMA therapy instead of all the other types of therapy to cure PTSD in soldiers, they actually started to support these federally uh, FDA trials, which are now in phase three trials. And uh, the trials have been so successful that they will be approving it. You know, of course, there's bureaucratic red tape uh, sometime in the next year or so. And I'm glad about that. In the meantime, me and other researchers and literally hundreds of other people have kind of created an underground network of using MDMA in therapy to help couples, help people with PTSD. And most important for me, which I really enjoy, is helping people open to higher states of consciousness, which I've used both uh, for myself and in helping friends and clients. That being said, what's the first question that you'd like to focus on so I can blab a little bit more? <laughs> well, I'm certainly curious about using it for um, spiritual awakening, but actually, uh, just to get this out of the way, um, how does it work? Like, for instance, with PTSD, what is the mechanism? How does it? How does? How does this help people? Well, the mechanism, when you get right down to how anything works, usually, if you dive deep enough, it goes down to PFM as the actual mechanism, which of course stands for pure friggin' magic. But on a less uh, woo-woo way of talking about, think of it that. Uh, MDMA creates a cascade of serotonin and dopamine in the brain, amongst other neurotransmitters, that creates a feeling that mimics a state of pure love, openness, and safety. And when you think, have a person who maybe has been raped or been, been beaten, I was beaten as a child a bunch, you have a lot of fear around remembering those things, and it those feelings become kind of like undigested and they work in the background to create all kinds of trauma responses. You know, when 
somebody has been raped and they might be in a situation where they perceive danger, they get triggered, they have immense amounts of fear, and it can create many problems in their life. During treatments that I do with clients, they are guided into an incredibly safe, open, loving space. And then I have them remember the incident. And think of it like you're taking a highly charged incident and pairing it with a incredibly relaxed, open, loving space. And the two things kind of neutralize each other so that in the future, when they might have been triggered, that trigger is either greatly lessened or even has disappeared because that original trauma has been digested in a way that the nervous system can uh, heal itself. So that's a short description of what I see happening. I also teach people how to enter into this loving state, safe state on their own with the help of both MDMA and with the help of spiritual exercises so that if they get triggered in the future, they can create that loving, safe space within themselves and therefore kind of dissipate the trigger much more quickly if it even arises at all. Mm -hmm. And is it the kind of thing where, where you need to continue using it or can you have that experience one or several times and then continue without it? Yeah, great question. Um, in my initial research 40 years ago, you know, I was able to give MDMA to a lot of clients legally. Uh, they made it illegal two weeks after my master's thesis came out. We were finding that about, about 90% of people could be, quote, cured of their PTSD in one session. Now, that session lasts five hours. Mm. That it was not necessary to even do a second session. Uh, John Hopkins, they actually do do two sessions a lot of the time, and they are getting similar results. But I found that, you know, if it wasn't reduced entirely, at least the effects were so minor that a person could handle any triggering incident rather easily in 90 percent, about 90 percent of the cases. And why did it last five hours? Was that just the duration of when the drug was in the bloodstream or is there a certain protocol that took that long? That's about how long the trip lasts. And I like to, when I, uh, you know, strangely enough, I used to do this prior to COVID in my uh, office, but with COVID, I tried to see if it could work over Zoom. And to my surprise, it works even better over Zoom because, <laughs> because on Zoom, you're like one-to-one, -one, there's no distractions whatsoever. You know, there's no place to go for a walk or anything like that. So I, I set aside five hours on Zoom, and it's a, it, the drug's effects make it actually easy for people to sit and, and be in one place for five hours. Uh, so it lasts about five hours. I, I create that amount of space to do the therapy process, and that, that's why it's five hours. Uh, I want to make sure that a person has integrated their insights, they're coming off the drug, everything's good before we, we end a Zoom call. Now, my protocol is also I do an hour Zoom call maybe a week before they take the medicine to get clear about their intentions, to get clear about any goals that they have for the session, you know, because I work with couples also. And, and many of the people I work with just want spiritual exploration and insights. Uh, what keeps them from higher states of consciousness. So I get clear in that one hour Zoom, maybe a week before. We set aside five hours for the session. And then about a week after, I set aside an hour to talk about what they learned, integration, and steps to move forward. So it ends up being a, you know, about a seven-hour uh, time commitment overall. And you know, it's, it's uh, to deal with the legality issue, I don't actually involve myself in it. Either they have access to that medicine or I give them the address of, of somebody where they can get that medicine. So 
there's really I haven't had any problems with the legality issue. Uh, it's a rather easy thing to find, but if people have a hard time, I, I uh, have a connection that is more than happy to mail stuff to them. And during the session, uh, the five hour one, mm -hmm. uh, do you do you have certain exercises or do you ask them questions or is it just a back and forth or or how, what does that look like? Well, different leaders of such journeys have very different processes. And I have a, a definite bias. You know, I'm trained as a psychotherapist. Uh, so I use various therapeutic processes from internal family systems to desensitization to hypnosis to neurolinguistic programming to uh, various questions. I'll talk about some of those processes in a moment. But many practitioners do something which I think is kind of a waste, which is they just tell people to put on a blindfold, listen to music, and if something comes up, let me know about it. So they're more passive. They don't actually do therapy so much as they just create a safe space. And the medicine's powerful enough that if you create a safe space, sometimes, you know, what good things will happen, even though there's not really therapeutic interventions going on. Right. And, um, and, you know, a lot of people make their living just doing that, creating that safe space and, and being there in case there's any trouble. I think that that can be a good experience, but I like to kind of, when somebody's in this heightened, wonderful state of consciousness, let's, let's, you know, tinker in there and, and do any healing work that might be challenging to do. I've, I've helped a lot of couples avoid divorce because in the MDMA state, they were able to forgive each other and deal with issues effectively. And um, you do kind of want to follow the medicine, meaning, you know, I don't force people in a certain direction, but I gently guide people to things like, so what have you been afraid to face and now you feel safe enough to look at? You know, that ah. could be a good intervention. Mm -hmm. So in the case of PTSD, that's how you would how you would bring that into it. You would ask them what what they're afraid to face in particular. And yeah. is there a certain timing to that that you have to sense? Yes, definitely. There's an intuitive timing as to when somebody feels safe enough and open enough and, and curious enough, you know. Um, but think of it that it's taken away all fear taking away all judgment and in such a state of consciousness it's like the perfect state of consciousness to do therapy you know 90% of what I do as a psychotherapist is listen to people's stories and create a safe enough space for them to go more deeply within themselves and that can take anywhere from an hour to five years right uh, with with a, a common amount being like six months. Well, you know, we just eliminate the six months and we can go right in there. Wow, that sounds that sounds good. And is it something that's relatively safe? I mean, how how are there side effects? Is there is there a downside to it that people should be aware of? Well, anytime you're dealing with something of power, there's potential downsides depending upon how stupidly people use something. You know, uh, a fork is not that dangerous of an incident unless you decide you want to put it into your eye. Uh, so <laughs> what, when it comes down to MDMA, um, you know, maybe of the couple hundred journeys I've led, I have had one person have a pretty unpleasant trip. I've had one person have... Uh, a challenging side effect for about three days and the other 198 or whatever have not been any problem. One of the things that helps is that certain supplements like magnesium can help to deal with some of the side effects as well as uh, something called 5-HTP, which is a, a supplement you can get at any health food store. So I instruct people to take those supplements either the day of or the day after their excursion. And the side effects tend to be very, very minor, like a tight jaw. Right. And I assume that you don't recommend that people use it 
on their own, that they only use it in this guided session with a trained facilitator. Well, that's certainly the best. With any psychedelic or MDMA is not psychedelic really because there's no hallucinations, but it's always best to have someone there to create safety. One of the things I do is I make sure I have the phone number of somebody who lives by them who can be there in a few minutes in case there were ever any trouble. I've never used this, but you know, uh, I always like to err on the side of caution. And just like, you know, if somebody was getting drunk in front of me, I'd want to make sure that their buddy was nearby in case they had a adverse effect to alcohol. MDMA is, is not dangerous unless you're taking it a lot then it you know, can use up certain neurotransmitters and lead to a feeling of, of depression afterwards if somebody uses it a lot. So uh, there are precautions and it's important to be aware of doing it in a smart way. You know, when we initially were doing this and thought that this was a wonder drug, I wondered how are people going to possibly abuse this? You know, it's a state of love and openness and clarity. And I never thought that they would use it as a dance party drug, you know, in raves. But, you know, people usually generally find the lowest common denominator and and use it that way. I'm sure I've never been to a rave. I'm sure it'd be fun to take this drug and feel love with everybody. But I think there's better uses for it than that. Yeah. So this has all been pretty interesting. But let's now dive into the... uh other use of it, which is more germane to this podcast, which is the use of it to foster spiritual awakening or uh, other spiritual experiences. Can you tell us about that? And obviously, you have both firsthand and uh, experience of it on your own and with, uh, and with clients and other people and in your research. Yeah, this has been really interesting. And I feel like I've been able to take it to a new level experimenting with different things. You know, a lot of the spiritual literature is that you want to be in a state of clarity and love and compassion and fearlessness. And more than any other drug, I've seen that pure MDMA does create such a state. Just as a quick story I I may have mentioned before, my parents asked me why I spent so much time doing spiritual practice many years ago. And I said, well, you know, I want to be in a certain state of consciousness that I like. And they said, well, can you explain what that's like? And I said, well, I can explain it, but it won't mean anything to you. But there is a drug that kind of mimics that state called MDMA. And they said, well, could we have it? I was surprised that they said that. Uh, But I said, yeah, yeah. So I got them some MDMA. And I, you know, told them, take it when you have plenty of time and, you know, in a, in a safe environment. Well, long story short, a year later, I asked them, did you ever take the drug? And they said, yeah, yeah, we took it. And I said, well, what happened? And they said, nothing. And I said, really? <laughs> and they said, yeah, nothing happened. You know, we took it and we waited 10 minutes and nothing happened. And I said, well, what what'd you do the rest of the evening? And then they, their eyes kind of brightened and they said, oh, well, we ended up talking on the couch about how much we love each other and how blessed our lives are and how wonderful uh, everything is. And then we cuddled for like two or three hours and then made love. It, was, it ended up being the best evening of our entire 30-year marriage. <laughs> and I said, but... I said, when was the last time you did that? Oh, we've never done that before. You know, the, it was nice that we got over the disappointment that the drug didn't take any effect. Uh, <laughs> but, but it ended up being such a wonderful evening. And I was laughing hysterically because, of course, that was all due to the drug. And they didn't know it because, you know, it doesn't so much feel like a drug as it feels like, wow, this is what life should be like, where I'm clear headed. I'm fearless, I feel safe, and I am totally open. So then the question became, can I use this experience like a training wheel, you know, on a bicycle? 
Mm-hmm. You know, you start, you train, you, you, you give people, uh, ch- children training wheels, they learn to ride a bike, and then you take the training wheels off, and hopefully they continue to ride the bike. And I started to see that there were very, very subtle things people did or experienced on MDMA to open up their energy field and their heart. And if I could document those things, then when they were not on the drug, they had the possibility of using their innate way of opening to open anytime. Yeah. Now, a lot of these things were invisible to them because nobody was asking them exactly how does it feel differently around your heart? Uh, Where do you notice tension? Where do you notice relaxation? How are your thoughts different? Many very precise questions like this that helped me to discover what each individual was doing inside themselves to create this open, fearless, loving state. And of course, I record all these sessions and I send the sessions to the people so that they can write down kind of like the recipe for being in this state of consciousness. I also have them close down their energy field while on this so that they can know how to protect themselves in case they find themselves in an emotionally dangerous situation. Because you want to learn how to open up your heart and you want to know how to like close down within yourself to protect yourself. You know, a hand that is only closed is not very useful. It's a, it's a club. You know, a hand that's always open is also not that useful because it can be crushed, you know, or hurt. But because we can open and close our hand at will, we have an incredible instrument. And so I want to record how people open and close on an MDMA session so that after the session, they can do that on their own at will. And it certainly has worked for me. I mean, one of my goals in life when I took MDMA is I said, I want to be able to get into this exact state of consciousness at will without the drug. And um, whereas it might have taken me like 20 minutes of meditation to do that before, now I can get there in about eh, roughly a minute. Yeah, I think that's great. When when you and I were, were talking uh, about this episode and you, you told me that, I, I, I thought that was great. It took me several years of practice uh, I feel I can get into it in a matter of seconds into a state of mm. bliss, joy, ecstasy, love. But, um, but it, yeah, it took me, it, it took me a bunch of years before yeah. I could do it instantly. And uh, so, but how do you, how you do you do? Maybe we can compare notes on how we, how we do it. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that people have various different ways that are very precise. I actually have a little card here that's laminated with 24 precise little things I can do to move into this state. And they're things that will mean much to me, but almost nothing to anybody else, because that's how precise these recipes are. Mm-hmm. And that's why most people don't discover them, because they're not subtle enough or they don't have um it's hard to be in the state and then use your rational mind to decipher what exactly it is you're doing that's why it's very helpful to have someone like me asking you like 20 questions so we can get your precise recipe for opening into love and stillness but here's some of the things i do um sink into a melty warm expansion like a hot tub that goes on forever okay another description feel an inner smile in my heart that radiates openly in all directions sing uh, the phrase of a certain song that i know that seems to bring this feeling of joy imagine expanding molecules throughout my body vibrating faster and faster you know, these things are formulas for me. They're not going to work for other people necessarily. Um, 
Imagine that the air around me is thick, like uh, a loving, vibrating uh, organism. You know, there, there's very, I have 20 more of these things, but um, what, what do you do to, to expand into this state? Well, when you asked uh, me uh, last time when we were planning this episode, I, I thought about it and I sort of looked at what I do, which is multiple steps that you kind of have to practice individually. But once you, know, once you have each one down individually, you can do them all at the same time instantly. And, I, and all of a sudden, uh, an acronym for it occurred to me. I call it WEBE, W-E. B E and that's, uh-huh. and that stands for wordlessly, effortlessly be everything. Ah, I like that. Yeah. And I'll break that down a little bit because wordlessly is asking yourself, what in my present experience can I notice without using words to describe it? Because our body sensations, sounds, they can all be experienced wordlessly. And it is that inner monologue in our head that acts as a filter that filters out actual reality, direct experience, and uh, instead brings our story into our experience. So that what we can directly experience what's happening right now wordlessly. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you can practice on its own. And when you get good at that, uh, effortlessly is the second one. And effortlessly really is not taking any steps to change your experience. You're not trying to make anything happen. And you're not trying to prevent anything from happening. And you're not trying to get rid of anything that is happening. So even if you're in a crummy mood, you don't do any steps to not be in a crummy mood. You totally just notice that mood. You're right. not trying to create an ecstatic state that you've heard someone describe mm-hmm. or that you had yesterday. You're totally allowing whatever is happening, including and especially your emotional life, to be exactly as it is without any effort to change anything. So that's mm-hmm. the effortlessly part. The B part is you look inside at what it is that is knowing your experience, which is just pure awareness, the background, the same field, uh, the sounds, your body sensations all appear in that clear mirror-like background. And you try to knowingly be that. In other words, you take that on as your identity. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you look out at the world from there, as that pure open field of awareness at everything. And you realize that everything that you can see, know, or be aware of in the entire universe is within that field of awareness that you are, which is why be everything. So that's it in a nutshell, wordlessly, effortlessly be everything. And you can practice those all individually. But for me, you know, I could just sort of pop into it in a second. And it's and it's it's lovely and it's delightful. And um, but who knows, maybe if I tried that while on MDA, it might be even more ecstatic and delightful and wonderful. Right, right. You know, it it is the type of thing where you're 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 like practicing a muscle and the muscle grows stronger and easier. And um, I guess, you know, I said it can take me a minute though. That might be in the long term. Sometimes it takes me only about three seconds, especially if I've been practicing it. And, you know, when you have peace, love and joy only three seconds away uh, in your life, that's you're having a different experience of life than everybody around you. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing about that is is that you you become less concerned about attaining some state. 
that mm-hmm. you've heard about, some state of enlightenment or awakening or realization or whatever, when you know that seconds away and always available is the the basic state, the, the default state of joy and happiness unfiltered by our incessant story of past and future. And when it's yeah. there at the drop of a hat, then you're less worried about trying to attain some future state. Right, right. You know, I think it's really a breakthrough medicine. You know, I've been leading people on these journeys for you now 40 years. And I have been asked and, and, and finally relented to teach my protocol in detail, like how to do this, both for yourself or for other people. So um, this is, uh, well, in April 2023, April and May, I'm teaching an eight-week course on how to lead these journeys for yourself or other people. There's a lot of information on how to do this if you want to do it right. You know, if you want to really get the best use of it possible. And if people are interested in learning about that, there's a website that explains it all at mdmatraining.net. And people can go there and read about, it's going to be like eight 90-minute Zoom sessions in April and May, and they'll be recorded, of course. And, you know, I whether you're a therapist or you just want to help people in general, especially as this becomes legal, which will be sometime very soon, it's going to be a breakthrough in terms of helping people spiritually. You know, I think LSD in the 60s opened up a lot of people. And if people can make really good use of MDMA for training yourself and others to get back to a place of love and safety, overcome PTSD, overcome couples issues, and and open up into expanded states of consciousness more quickly, I think it's the best tool out there that I have found. And I, you know, you know me, I've explored a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. But you, as with any tool, you got to make sure you use it correctly, that there's subtleties to it. Uh, there's ways to abuse it if you don't know those things. You know, for example, like people on antidepressants don't get much benefit from MDMA because the two chemicals don't work well together. They kind of cancel each other out. So uh, that's something to know. And, and there's other precautions physically and, and such. But as with any method or any powerful medicine, you want to know how to make really good use of it because the way people use these things tend to be in a way that's not so smart, you know, like raves. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's kind of like using a diamond to clean your toilet. Well, a diamond can clean your toilet, but, you know, uh, a, a toilet cleaner can clean your toilet just as well. And a diamond is, is more precious than a, a toilet cleaner. So that's how I look at it. And I'm excited to be teaching this course because there's a lot of information and people want to know about it. They can go to mdmatraining.net, find out right. about that. Great. I have another question about spiritual awakening and and MDMA. And let's just, for the sake of argument, define spiritual awakening or realization as, as the shift in identity from the small self, from the body mind, the individual body mind, to the larger universal awareness or pure pure consciousness and if we defined it as that as opposed to just a general feeling of love and safety how is mda specifically valuable in in terms of that well you know people are different and you know it's interesting your descriptions of how you get into the six-man state sounded totally different than mine although i can certainly relate to yours um, and, you know, we, we tend to think that everybody should be a, a Christian or everybody should do this type of meditation. But in reality, um, everybody is different, unique, and you want to find what works best for you. 
so in answer to your question, uh, well, first, say your question again, because I lost the thread there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not talking about, uh, you know, I'm just saying, what if, let's just for the sake of argument, I mean, I know many people have different definitions of enlightenment or mm -hmm. awakening or spirituality in general, zillions of them. But right. let's, just, let's just assume that if we take one definition, which is the shift in identity from the small individual body and right. mind to the larger universal consciousness, how would, would, is MDMA effective in that kind of shift? Well, it certainly is for me. I would say it tends in that way to maybe 60% of the people who take it. Um, the other people are more, you know, you have to follow the medicine. For them, it tends to be more um, focusing on this obstacle, this PTSD, this trauma, and it takes them into clearing the trauma. Um, I've cleared a lot of my trauma, so it tends, I tend to enter into what I, I might call the bigger being, you know, the, the expanded awareness, uh, which is where I tend to go now. But that's not true for everyone. And for some people, it seems to have almost like an intelligence as to what is the next step that person needs to move forward on their path. That's what I've seen. And it's, it's just mind-blowing to see how it works that way and how it almost seems to be like an intelligent uh, – you know, once you set the intention and the medicine and the guide – it's almost like grace comes down and says, this is your next step. This is what uh, you need to move forward on the path. And for some people, that's working on a trauma. For some people, it's just being more self-honest. For a lot of people, it's experiencing that expanded state and feeling at home with it, knowing that that's their true nature. Mm, well, I, I like when you said that it seems to have a kind of a inner intelligence about what is needed next because sometimes um that that trauma and that that sense of always being triggered by things is is you know can be an obstacle and maybe you need to get that part out of the way first and then work on knowing yourself as universal consciousness yeah i've seen this with couples therapy that i do this with that you know, a lot of times couples will say, oh, this is the issue, you know, the infidelity or whatever was the issue. And then on the MDMA, it's very clear as what caused the infidelity. And now that, that's a real issue, you know, like it becomes totally obvious. It's not even a, a search. It's both people are aware. Oh, it's it's, you know, the fact that we don't trust each other or the fact that you hurt me 14 years ago or whatever it is. So sometimes it can be very powerful when people use MDMA as a forgiveness accelerator. Like you know, they that. don't even know that they their heart is blocked because of some perceived wrong. And when they let go of that wrong, uh, or they forgive themselves a lot of the time, uh, it's like an explosion of love or an openness is the result. And it's very moving. You know, I, I have a lot of options as to what to do in my life career-wise. Um, I make less money doing this than doing other things, but it's so moving. It's so sacred that I always make room for people who are sincerely interested because uh, it's like watching miracles happen before your eyes. Wow. That must be amazing. Yeah. Now I'm curious, we often, or practically always, and our episodes with a guided meditation. But I'm so curious as to what kind of a guided meditation do you have in store for us? And, and are there things that we haven't touched on that you would like to mention before we go into the guided meditation? Uh, well, one last thing is that it is important in the protocol I use that there is an integration session afterwards because ultimately you want to take your learnings and figure out how to apply them into your life. And that's a really important part of what I call MDMA therapy. And some people don't even do that. So at you know, in the training I do, I talk a lot about that. And in the work 
I do. I also do that. So um, that's something that I just wanted to reiterate. I think we touched on mostly important things. The only thing I might say is that in in the my guided meditation I'm about to do, I it kind of mimics without the MDMA some of the questions I ask and some of the goals of learning how to open up quickly your energy field to love and also how to close it down because once you have that sense of how to do it just like opening and closing your hand you have a, a superpower really for how to navigate relationships how to navigate self-therapy how to um, open up into expanded states of consciousness so i think people will find that useful and once again, if people want to know more about the training I'm leading for uh, learning how to do all this in detail, they can go to mdmatraining.net. But uh, if people are ready for a meditation, let's do it. Find a comfortable chair, make yourself cozy, and we will begin. Okay, so begin by making yourself comfortable, closing your eyes and taking a couple of slow and deep breaths. And as you're breathing, feel the middle of your chest area. If you want, you can even put a hand over the middle of your chest. Whatever works for you. As you focus on this part of your body, I want you to think of some person or pet or child that you care deeply about. Remember special times with this being, times where you felt particularly connected and close to them. Feel how lucky it is to have this being in your life, how grateful you are. If you want, you can imagine hugging or holding them or telling them how much you appreciate them. Now think of one other being who you feel close to, a pet, a person, a child. And remember special times with this being. Feel your love and care radiating out to them and gratitude for your connection. Now I'd like you to notice what feels different in your body as you have an open heart. Do you feel energy radiating from your heart? Does it feel softer or more relaxed in your chest area or some other part of your body? Is there anything you could do now to open up even more to this feeling of safety and love? Were you successful at opening more? If so, what exactly did you do to open more fully to love? Be aware of any subtle shifts in your body or mind that helps you to feel more loving and expansive. Now I want you to think of someone who really bothers you. It could be a former lover, a politician, or anyone from your past. Someone who annoys you or 
hurt you in the past. As you think about this person and perhaps an incident of how they bother you, notice any subtle changes in your body. What happens? Do you energetically close or tighten certain parts of your body? What did or do you focus on to close down? Sometimes it can be a good idea to protect yourself from people who are trying to overwhelm you or hurt you in some way. So it can be a good idea to know how to close down consciously. But now, as you did before, see if you can open up again to the safe, open, and loving place within yourself. Take a moment to do that as best you can. What did you do to open up? Did you focus on a person or an energy or a place in your body? How exactly did you or do you open up to a softer, more loving place inside yourself? As best you can, keep expanding until you even feel safe and open as you think about the person who annoys you or hurt you. See that person as doing the very best they know how and feel your compassion. Keeping this open-hearted place within yourself, very, very slowly come back to feeling your chair, And with an open heart, a compassionate mind, very slowly begin to open your eyes. Welcome back. Thank you. I loved that. That was wonderful. Um, a couple of observations. It really highlighted the sense that we have kind of a valve that we can open and close at will. And we don't realize when someone is behaving in a way we disapprove of or don't like that we're closing it down. But mm -hmm. with practice, we can open it at will. And the other observation was having done the beginning of the exercise, I had a little bit of a tough time sensing the normal closing that I have when thinking about certain people who have annoyed me in the past. It was yeah. like I had to kind of work on closing down one thinking about them. Although one person I pretty much, you know, who's more of a public figure, I pretty much succeeded with, but still. <laughs> Thank God for him. <laughs> um, but um, uh Anyway, a great exercise. I, I really in, enjoyed it. And, and it, it teaches a skill that we can actually easily employ moment to moment. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully a lot of people will make use of this medicine. Uh, it's gaining, you know, new popularity. As I said, it will be completely legal sometime soon. Uh, in the meantime... I'm hoping that a lot of people learn how to use it responsibly for themselves and other people. 
And um, it can be a real breakthrough technology, so to speak, for helping people learn the subtleties of how to turn that internal love valve on and off. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I'm still on the fence for me as to whether it's something that I would try or not. But I, I really appreciate going into detail and learning about it from all the different angles that we discussed today. So I'm very grateful to you for that. Yeah, I appreciate your questions, uh, Brian. And if people want to uh, ask me specific questions, they can email me. Uh, through awarenessexplorers.com or my personal email address, I-A-M-J-O-N-R at AOL.com, or they can learn more at mdmatraining.net. Um, and it's important that people do know how to make use of this because it is a powerful medicine and, and it's important that people be aware of the subtleties of how to make use of it in a safe and effective way. Thank you. Great. And um, always new information here. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who are always great. Make these broadcasts possible. Learn more at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. Uh, we enjoy uh, the personal emails from you and the extra stuff, sending you stuff about uh, everything from the Sedona method to um, little essays Brian and I do and little outtakes that we give from our interviews with other folks and uh, any last words before we sign off? No, I think this was a very uh, entertaining uh, and informative conversation and uh, thank, I'm just grateful to all of you folks out there for listening and, and for your support and have fun. And keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.